Do you think that the circumstances of your life are a surprise to God? Now, now don't, don't knee-jerk that, you know. Well, I'm in church, and I know what the answer is supposed to be. Do you think the circumstances of your life or a surprise to God. We're looking at hope again this morning. And here's one more slice of this theme of hope. Defeating the whispers of hopelessness. Defeating the whispers of hopelessness. We hear things, we, we feel things, we strong to our hearts and to our spirits. We're in the middle, when we are in the middle of a difficult season in our lives, the Lord can speak to us as his children. The Lord desires for us to hear his voice. But there is another voice, child of God, there is another voice that can talk to you, whisper to you. Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 44 said that Satan is a liar and that he is the father of lies. Satan has the supernatural ability to whisper something into your ear that will feel like the truth, sound like the truth, logically put together like it is the truth, when in reality it is a flat out, absolute, totally opposite lie of the truth. So with that in mind, hope is that which comes from the Lord. Hopelessness is that which comes from Satan. A voice, a sense, a whisper that leaves you feeling hopeless. If there is any other character in the Bible other than Jesus himself who exhibits a life that could have been marked by an attitude of hopelessness, it would be this person that we look at today and we looked at last week, the man named Joseph. Joseph. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the goal of the Spirit of God to fill you with hope. Now what's hope? Hope is a wish or a desire for something better or something different, but it is coupled with an expectation that somehow, some way, what I desire, what I'm wishing for, 
is going to happen to me. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Satan's design is to fill you up with the opposite of that which is hope, which would be hopelessness. Now I want you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to um, a book in Genesis or a chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 41. And I want to read the end of the story before we go back to the beginning. Just so you'll know where Joseph is destined to be. Your, your destiny, my destiny, is not necessarily going to match Joseph's. Uh, we're, we're not living in ancient Egypt. We're living in the United States of America today. But as it was with Joseph, that there was a journey into his destiny. So my brother and sister in Jesus, there is a journey into your destiny, individually. And it's very helpful for us, very encouraging for us, if we'll take the time to do it, to let the scripture instruct us and inform us as to the ways that God will use to take us into our destiny. He just has an amazing way of, of bringing us in the back door. You know, some folks were born into royalty. Joseph wasn't born into royalty. Joseph ends up in a royal position in his life by way of, of being a slave and then being a prisoner and then being an interpreter of dreams. And it was by way of this nebulous thing of interpreting a dream and being spot on in the interpretation of it, a gift that God had given him that was the doorway that ushered him into being the right hand, second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. Probably um, the most or one of the most powerful nations on the face of the earth at that time, Egypt. Here's, here's how the story ends up. This is Genesis 41 verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, after he has had the dream, Joseph has interpreted the dream. He's speaking to this group with Joseph in the presence. He said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only on the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put that ring on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he, Pharaoh, set him, Joseph, over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Joseph 
or Pharaoh named Joseph that long Egyptian name. And he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over all the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. 30 years old. Now back up a few chapters. Back up a few chapters to chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Verse 1. Genesis 37 verse 1. Now Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, father, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel or, or Jacob, another name for Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic and his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. And then Joseph had a dream, the first of two, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said, please listen to this dream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up, stood erect. Behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. The brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are, we, are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more than being the younger brother favored by the father with a fancy coat. They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. The plot thickens. They catch him one day when he's coming out. He's by himself. He's sent by his father out to check on them as they were taking care of the herds. They saw him coming. They said, enough of this. We're going to be done with this dreamer, as they called him. And so they, they came up with a plot. The first was they were just going to kill him and put blood on his coat, send it back to the father and say that a wild beast, a lion or something, had, has attacked Joseph and, and has killed him. They decided against that. One of the brothers came in and said, we don't need Joseph's blood on our hands. Let, let's, just, let's just sell him to these traders as they were coming through on their way to Egypt. Let's just sell him and be done with him, and then we'll do the same thing. We'll, put the, we'll take his coat, we'll put blood on it, tell dad that, that he, he, just, he just was killed. He's killed by a wild animal, and that's it. We're done with Joseph. That's, that's how it all, so then this verse in, in verse, um, verse 28, Genesis 38, 28, then some Midianite traders passed by where the brothers were, and so they pulled him up, Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit that they'd thrown him into, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. How in the world Joseph got from being criminally rejected by his brothers, 
and literally sold into slavery where he ends up in Egypt, bought by the chief of Pharaoh's bodyguards. And from there he ends up in prison. And then he interprets the dream of, a, of the cupbearer and the baker. They get restored to their place in Pharaoh's palace and his governance. And finally, Pharaoh has a dream and, and the, the cupbearer remembers this, this young Hebrew prisoner who was in jail with them. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph to come out and give him a chance to interpret the dream. He interprets the dream, and on the basis of the interpreting of Pharaoh's dream properly, Pharaoh sees something in him that that he wants and that he needs as a part of his administration, names him to second in command, and the rest is history. That's how the Israelites all ended up in Egypt in the first place. The whole nation ended up in Egypt by way of Joseph but sold into slavery, rejected by his brothers, and ended up in this absolutely impossible place from which God elevates him to second in command of the nation and the long term was to make a provision for his people who would perish in the famine in the land in Canaan. They grew up, prospered, 400, 450 years later, Moses emerges. And Moses leads the Israelites out from Egypt into Canaan. But it all started with Joseph being sold into slavery by his own brothers. Now, let me me tell you something and let this in. When God gets ready to do something radical, when God gets ready to do something that will shape the future of a family line, when God gets ready to do something to alter the course of a nation, you watch his methods and you watch his ways because how he does it will blow your hat in the creek. If he's going to do something radical, he's going to exercise radical means. Keep that in mind. Hold on to that. The second thing I would say to you, if God is all you have, he will prove to you that he is all you need. And from that conviction in your heart, you will become invincible. You didn't hear me. If God is all you have, the circumstances are such that everything has been removed from you. The sources of support, the sources of comfort. If God is all you have, he will prove to you that he is all you need and you will become invincible. That doesn't mean that you'll climb every mountain and chase every star and conquer the world. But it means that the things that come against you, the things that try to challenge you, the things that will try to push you back, the things that will try to hold you down, when you know that in that place and in places like that, when all you have is God, 
He in that place, no matter how you define that place, he is all you need and you will become invincible. But in order to know that, he has to take us through some places to prove to us what he's trying to prove, what he knows we're going to need to know. And one of the greatest challenges for parents is what do we protect our children from and what do we as parents just know they've got to go through it in order to get to it. They've got to go through some things in order to understand the might of God and the favor of God upon their lives. I can't always be there to cover them. I can't always be there to write letters of recommendation for them. I can't always be there to open doors for them. I can't always be there to answer them in the middle of the night when there's a bump in the room and a knock at the door. Some of that they're going to have to face by themselves and to know that they're not really alone, though it seems like they're alone. And that was the case of Joseph. Defeating the whispers of hopelessness. Hopelessness doesn't always have a big mouth. Hopelessness sometimes just comes as a whisper. It comes up with a feeling. It comes up with a memory. It comes up with, with an impression. In the middle of the night, it can be something that, that can move upon us in the, in the middle of a good place, in the middle of a happy place, in the middle of this is, this is good, this is right. But then something out of the past, something, something can trouble us, hopelessness. I want to suggest to you this morning a few things, a few whispers, a few whispers of hopelessness. And, and the reason that these things can be so strong is that these can be, the power behind this can be more than just you thinking in your own mind or what if, and maybe this is what that was. The energy behind it is not just you, the energy behind it is, is Satan. The energy behind it, because it's so convincing, it's so compelling, it's so gripping, it's not human, it's not natural. Though when you can step away and look at it, you, you can understand the reasoning of it, that, that, that that's not truth, but it feels like the truth. That's Satan. Satan can make a lie feel like the truth. Satan can tell a lie and tell it so convincingly that we believe it. And the lie takes us to hopelessness. Here's the first one. Here's the first whisper of hopelessness that I would ask you to consider. You don't have a father loving you so therefore you don't have a loving God. Therefore, you don't have a father present who loves you. Therefore, you don't have a God who loves you. Joseph was snatched from the presence of a good father. Jacob wasn't perfect. Jacob had his struggles as a younger man. But Jacob was at least wanting to live in the right direction, trying to lean in the right direction. 
a favorable, good influence on this younger son. But because of what the brothers did to him, he was absent the presence of a loving father. Now, if he had wanted to, and maybe some of this crossed his mind, God, if you let this happen to me to take my father whom I love away from me, where are you? Where were you? Father left. We left the father. That must mean that that God is left. No covering, no protection, no kindness flowing from the person of a human father. I want you to stay with me. This may not be easy to follow, but I want to ask you to try. For those of you who may not have thought along these lines, if there, if there are no circumstances about your life that can surprise your God, then it must also be true that even the absence of a loving father is not surprising your God. Radical shifts require radical means. If the purpose for God, of God for you and your life is not to live a life exactly like your earthly father lived, Jacob was situated, sojourning in the land of Canaan. He was right where he was supposed to be. But to stay in the land of Canaan in that sense at that time was not God's plan for Joseph, his son. It was not the plan of God for Joseph to be just like his daddy, to do just what his dad did. God had a radically different plan for Joseph. Not that the heart toward God would be different, but the geographic location would be different. The way he would work with his hands would be different. And in order to get Joseph to where God wanted him to be, the Lord allowed this crazy, bizarre, even cruel means to speed Joseph along his way. But I think that it's fair to talk about and ponder, did Joseph ever say, but God, where are you? I mean, if, if you're a loving God and I'm ripped from my loving father and I'm being cast out into this great unknown what kind of God are you? The enemy will stay up all hours of the night and day to keep whispering that in your ear. Where's your father? Where's your dad? You remember that scene in the Passion of the Christ when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and this figure representing Satan, the pale figure off in the shadows, and Jesus is there, and he's, in, he's agonizing the struggle of 
being separated from the father because of the sin that he would carry. And there's this voice, this, this, this pale figure, but, but in a whispered tone, just saying, so where is your father? Where is your father? Who is your father? Folks, listen. If the enemy can do that, if, if he can somehow convince us that we really don't have a God who loves us. And the reason that we can, can come to that conclusion is because we're assuming that we're not having a loving father saying that he loves us all the time. Now, here, here's the part that can be difficult. But it also can make sense, and I believe this can be the truth of God, not, not just in an attempt to confuse with the truth of God. What if God knows that for your earthly father to stay a part of your life would mean that your life would be harder, that your means of following him would be more difficult, that his power is, is because just the imposing figure of a father to, to, to color the atmosphere of a home and, and to give a sense of this is, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and there's not really anything left up for a vote. And some of that can be good when it's good counsel in a sense when children are young. But, but what, if, what if as you grew older, that was going to be very damaging, very hurtful to you? And here it gets this. What if God in his mercy... What if God in his mercy, what if it is the mercy of God that has allowed for there to be a separation between you and your earthly father because you will have less to have to deal with now, even though the earthly father isn't there, at least it can be something of a clearer picture of what your heavenly father can be like. You're not going to have to continually be trying to rise above the sin, the waywardness, the error of an earthly father's ways. I know that's hard. Hard for children to, to, to be at, at, at school sports events and there's no dad there. Award ceremonies and there's no dad there. It can be hard to see it now, but if you were to fast forward and perhaps run into that biological father at some years in the future and see what that person has become, not what you would want to become, setting a course that would not be the one that you would want to follow, that then maybe you would be able to see it was the mercy of God. It wasn't the meanness of God. It wasn't that he just wanted to leave me abandoned he wanted to limit the amount of hurt that would crush my soul. Now, I'm just saying to you, radical, radical shifts require radical means. And it may be that because there has come to be a, some kind of separation between you and your earthly father, it is because God is determined that you are going to take a track, a course, a direction different than that which your earthly father has taken. Spiritually, but maybe even geographically and professionally, God is not 
surprised by the circumstances in our lives. It does not mean that the devil has overpowered. It means that God will take the things that are even evil, that are meant for evil, and can turn them to good. He can cause them to work together for good in the lives of those who love him. If Joseph had spent his time going over and over and over and over again. I've lost my daddy. I didn't have a daddy. I didn't have a daddy when I needed him. He, he wasn't there. I didn't have anybody to encourage me, anybody to support me. Anybody. From 17 on, he had no physical, vis, visible earthly father. If he had spent his time nursing those wounds, he would never have pressed on into the rest of what God had in mind for him that was beyond what his earthly father had afforded him. We're to be grateful for our earthly fathers to bring us into this life. They're the biological tool. But the bottom line is your biological daddy is not your real daddy. Your biological father is not your real father. The scripture would say that you as a child of God were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That he knew you, he saw you, he held you in his heart before your mother ever felt you kick in her womb. You belong to somebody, you belong to somebody and he's not throwing you away, he's not checking out on you, he's not getting less interested in you and going off with somebody else. He loves you, he cherishes you, he holds you in his heart. You're the apple of his eye, that's who you are to your real daddy. The only problem is that real daddy, we don't hear an audible voice from, do we? We don't feel a physical hug from. That's why by his spirit, by the work of his spirit, by the work of the presence of God in our lives, those things are possible. He is able to hold you. He is able to speak encouragement to your heart. He is able to bind up a broken heart. He is, he, he is able to, for you to sense his nearness to your life. He can do that. But if I'm still stuck, if I'm still hung up on, where's my daddy, where's my daddy, where's my earthly daddy, where's my daddy, he wasn't there, I don't know where he is. I don't know what, it, it, grieving and mourning, the loss is an important thing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But the rest of that, second part of that is they shall be comforted. You're going to be comforted. You won't spend all your days mourning a loss because the Lord by his spirit will bring comfort to your heart. Amen. Amen. So, so here, here's, this, here's this first whisper. You, you, don't, you don't have a father loving you for you don't have a God loving you. For Joseph to be all that God wanted him to be, his earthly father's influence had to be lessened for Joseph to become all that God, his real father, wanted him to be. His earthly father's influence had to be lessened. But never was Joseph without his heavenly father's presence. I say that because I don't know how this 17-year-old didn't lose his mind. How he didn't just say, I'm going to just jump off a cliff somewhere. Nobody wants me. I'm thrown out here. I can't speak the language of these people. I'm being sold as a slave. I'm losing the rights of a son. 
I've been sold into slavery. Somebody is about to own me. I have no rights, no privileges. I belong to some, I'm a piece of property to the one who would buy me. Why should I even live? But somehow, some way, God, his real father, let his presence be known. That this isn't the whole story of your life, Joseph. I know it's dark now. I know it's tough now. I know you're alone now. I know you're in isolation in a sense now. But this is not who you really are. This is not the sum. What your brothers did to you is not the sum total of your life. What your brothers perpetrated against you is not my heart toward you. You watch. You watch, Joseph. I'll prove it to you. Joseph was stepping into this. If God is all you have, he will prove to you that he is all you need. And you will become invincible. The presence of God, the Lord let him know his presence. The Lord let him feel his influence. You you read the story of how Potiphar, who bought Joseph, As he watched Joseph do well in taking care of the household assignments, he he gave him more to be responsible for and more to be responsible for until finally he just felt that he was such a trusted and efficient worker that he turned the whole household over to him. Well, where'd that come from? Then you read the part about the jailer. The jailer had kindness toward Joseph. Why? Because the presence of the Lord, the work of his real father, was putting it into the hearts of even unbelieving people who were related to his son, Joseph, a kindness. He put a kindness in their heart toward him. When you get away from being able to benefit from the letters of recommendation that your earthly mom and dad can write for you or or some kind of business doors that they might be able to recommend for you and have a friend and who has a friend who has a friend, it all comes back to what what your dad or your mom or your family name can generate. When all of that is lost, and in this case, forcibly taken from Joseph, but he finds himself when nobody should care about him, Important people are caring about him. The man who bought him, who owned him, who had the right to whip him and imprison him, somehow was finding favor. Where's that coming from? It's not coming from Jacob or Esau. It's coming from God as Heavenly Father. Folks, listen. Some of you have been in those places where you didn't have anybody who knew your name and nobody should see you as the one who's rising above the cream, rising to the top. But somehow there were some people in places of influence who could open doors for you that noticed you, wanted to know your name, seemed to have a chemistry connection with you. Where'd that come from? I'm telling you. It's one way of God letting you know you are not by yourself. You are not an orphan. I am here. Where you are, I am. And I will take care of you. And I have the ability to put things in the hearts of people that they hadn't even thought of in kindness towards you and opportunity towards you. So the the, the influence of the Lord, the intervention. God God showed his intervention. The Father showed his intervention. How, where was that? Well, one of the places was when they were, the brothers were deciding that they were going to kill Joseph and just be done with him. 
But some way or another, Judah, one of the brothers, came to the, to the brother meeting and just said, we can't do that. We can't kill him. We don't need that blood on our hands. But let's sell him. And then let's perpetrate this, this idea that he was killed by the animal with, with his blood covered up with blood on the, on the coat. That's what they did. It's as if the Lord was saying, when they were saying, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. We're done with him. We've had it. We're going to kill him. It's just better for him to die. That the Lord invisibly, imperceptibly even to Joseph, Joseph was in a pit. He didn't hear the conversation. But some way or another, God, who had the plan for Joseph, who knew he would be the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt one day, God put it in the heart of Judah to say, Let's don't kill him. <laughs> Let's just sell him as a slave. You say, well, that doesn't sound real good. God's plan was not for Joseph to keep herding sheep in Canaan. God's plan for Joseph was something radically different than anything his brothers, his mother, his daddy had ever known before. That there was nothing that fit this box. I'm telling you, I'm wired up right here because that's who some of you are. Wake up to it. Let the Lord explode the dream. You're not like your brothers. You're not like your father or your mother. If God has done something radical in your heart to turn your heart toward Jesus Christ and you're the longing of your heart is to serve him and to honor him and they think you're nuts, they disdain you, they despise you, whatever it would be. All you have is him. And he will prove to you that you are not like your family. You can love them. Joseph broke down and wept when after all those years, the brothers who didn't recognize him, but he recognized them, showed up in his presence in Egypt needing food. It so overwhelmed him. His heart was still so tender for them that it says in at least a couple of different places recording the event, he had to leave the room. He didn't want to blow his cover yet. He didn't want them to know who he was quite yet. He had to leave the room and he went and cried his eyes out. Grown man, second owner of Pharaoh, cried his eyes out because he still loved his brothers, even all that they had done to him. Everything they had done, he still loved them. Their rejection does not mean that your heart has to die, that your emotions have to totally dry up. To be separated from your father, to be separated from your family, for whatever reasons, through whatever means, when God has a plan, God will keep you intact. He'll keep the real part of you, the core part of you intact. And he will do something radically different with you. And you can't all the time be going back and checking with them. Maybe, maybe that's what Joseph would have done. Maybe the reason there needed to be this, this geographical separation between Joseph and, and Jacob is because the Lord knew Joseph was going to be continually checking in with his dad, checking in with his dad, checking in with dad, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And the Lord knew that would mess up the plan. 
So here he is by himself, a million miles away, so to speak. And yet the Lord, his real father, is proving himself to him. Now listen, this guy wasn't 55 years old. He wasn't 35 years old. He was 17 years old. I'd say to the teenagers who are here, parents of teenagers, God does amazing things with young folks. He doesn't wait till they get too old to, you know, worry about risking anything. And God did a radical work with Joseph, did a radical work with the other Joseph, Mary's Joseph and Mary, both of whom were teenagers. God can start his plan, working out his purpose early on, and it moves throughout the rest of the years of a life. You don't have a father loving you. So you don't have a God loving you. It's a lie. It's a lie. You do have a God loving you. And here are ways in which you can see that he's loving you. He's, he's influencing people to show their kindness toward you at strategic points, even without the influence of your family. He's intervened on your behalf. When things could have gone another way, they didn't go the other way because God intervened. He stopped it. He sent it in the direction he wanted it to go. And he made his presence known because somehow you just knew that there was more to your life than the circumstances that were immediately surrounding you. Not that you thought you were great or perfect or that you had or you're entitled to something, but deep down within you, you just knew these circumstances are not the sum total of my life. So that's, that's the first whisper. You don't have a father loving you, therefore you don't have a God loving you. The second one is this, whisper number two, you are despised by your family. Maybe you need to put another person there, maybe not family, blood kin, but maybe some other significant voice or voices who despise you. You are despised by your family, therefore you are a failure. And all you can expect is that you will ultimately fail. Whisper number two, you are despised by your family. Therefore, you're a failure. And all you can expect is to fail. Really interesting. Joseph hits Egypt. He's at the slave market. He's picked by Potiphar, bought by Potiphar, brought into Potiphar's house. And Joseph evidently is given some things to do. Washing dishes, sweeping the floor, working the garden, tending the household livestock. Who knows what it was? But he got after it. He worked. The reason that Potiphar was impressed with Joseph was not just because there was this kind of, I just kind of like the guy and I think we could be friends. It was that he saw that Joseph was productive, that Joseph would apply himself, that Joseph would do well what he was given to do. 
And as a result of that, Potiphar began to notice that if he does these smaller things well, then I'll turn some other things, some bigger responsibilities over to him. And he did it. He proved himself, not as a cripple, not as an emotional cripple, but he proved himself, even though his life had been blown up, he proved himself to be a man, a young man, worthy of his hire. That he would do what he was instructed to do, he would do it well, and he would be open to doing it better. Rather than hunkered down, I, get, I cannot believe these news reports on these college campuses of, of having to have toddler classes for these students who, have, who are so upset about the presidential election. Great Scott! Let me tell you where they'll be. They will be followers. They'll be on the street wanting a handout. You gotta suck it up at some point, and I know that's not real spiritual language. But, but somebody who is just a baby is always going to have to be babied until they realize I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go stone broke. I'm gonna not have a bite to eat unless I suck it up and start to work and push back some stuff, push past some stuff. It isn't Joseph could have sat there, oh poor me, well I need somebody to counsel me and I need some toddler course to help me get through this thing. I've been rejected by my brothers. I can't get a hold of my daddy. I'm over here in the middle of nowhere. Oh God, where am I? He didn't do that. Okay, so I'm a slave. I'm gonna be the best cotton picking slave that there ever could be. I'm gonna be the best one. I'm gonna do what I have to do. I'm gonna do what my hand. He got busy. He got busy. He got busy, and I use that term cotton picking a connection with slavery, and I don't mean that to be funny. Because I, I have members of my family generations back, and I've told you this story before, that were plantation owners, that were slave owners. That, that's in my background. And that was a tragedy. Those were sins. That was, that, was, that, was a, that was a decadence of capitalism that should never, ever have been contemplated, should never again repeat it. It was wrong, it was sin, it was, it was wrong. But that's what they were hired to do. And I gotta tell you, some of the greatest hymns, it's not justifying anything that was done to them, but here's what it is, it, it speaks of the soul, the heart of so many of those amazing African-Americans that as they were dragging those huge sacks of, to fill up with cotton out across the fields, they were singing, they were praising, they were looking to the Lord, they were understanding who I am is not just who my circumstance would seem to indicate. I'm not a slave to my father. I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a child of the Most High. And that, what, what, what cost or what that cost us, the crime against all of those, many precious, precious, precious men and women and children it took the Civil War to break that curse and to in ways to atone for what had been done for generations against an entire group of people. Joseph, Joseph was exactly there. He may not have been dragging a sack of cotton, 
but whatever it was that he was assigned to do. That's what he was doing. And he was doing it well. And he wasn't spending all of his time nursing his wounds. Grieve, yes, grieve. But blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God can heal you. God can take this, this, this statement of being, of being despised by your family. Therefore, you're nothing but a failure. And you have no reason to expect anything but failure out of yourself is a lie straight from hell. Trying to convince you to just give up. Just quit. Don't try. No reason. No reason to try. No reason. Because you're going to fail. If Joseph had listened to that, we'd have never read his name in this book. That was a progression. That was a step. The Lord was working that into his heart. Why Why did the Lord allow him to be a slave for that season? I believe it was as much as anything because the Lord wanted Joseph to have compassion he wanted, he wanted Joseph to know what it felt like to be under that level of servitude. It was breaking some pride down. It was taking away confidence in himself, and it was putting the confidence back up on the Lord. So I don't know what your significant others in your life have made you feel about yourself. But you remain a failure only if you believe the lie that they put on you. If you let them rule you with that lie, then... It may do it, but if instead you realize that that's not the truth according to God's heart for you, it wasn't the truth for Joseph. You're despised by your family, therefore you're a failure, and all you can expect is to fail. So, so, here, so what's the answer to that? How did he defeat that? He got busy right where he was. He did good with what he was assigned to do right then. He did not stay crumpled up in a corner whining. He got busy. He got busy. He got busy, and he excelled in what he did. And he made, in a sense, he made a name for himself. And I don't know that this works for everybody, but some folks, it can be a real positive thing. Some folks, and you you come to the conclusion that they didn't think I would ever amount to anything, and you're just determined to prove them wrong, that I will excel. I will do my best. I will honor the Lord with the work of my hands. That was Joseph. That was Joseph. See, here's how you, one of the ways you know whether whether you're yielding to the voice of the enemy, the influence of the enemy, or yielding to the influence of the Lord. It, it, the, the influence of the enemy will be to push us down, shrink us down, shackle us, push us back, and hold us in a place of containment. When it is the voice of the Lord working, it is, it is, it is life and not death. This is death. Satan will speak death. And the result is we just shrivel up like, like some insect that's, that's been hit with insecticide. It just, it just shrivels up. But when it's life, when it is the word of the Lord, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have life abundantly, super abundantly. When his words have their effect inside of us, there's growth, there's propulsion, there's breaking free, there's higher, there's farther, there's more. That's the way you know it's the voice of the Lord. But if I'm, and I have a choice, I can choose to listen to the Lord speaking to me, or I can choose to come in under the whispers of hopelessness, which just pushes me back, tires me out, weighs me down, Caused me to be stuck right here. 
Which do you want? Joseph had his choice. Joseph chose the right. May his example, by the power of the Spirit of Jesus, may his example work in us as well. Amen. Amen. I want you to bow with me for prayer, please. This this is the big difference. We can can go through a a teaching like this, a study like this this morning, and and we're we're left with, in some ways, if we're not careful, we're left with a sense of hopelessness just as we're talking about how to get beyond hopelessness. It's because, well, I've I've got to try all this. I've got to work harder. I've got to... I've got to convince myself that that not having the presence of a loving father is not really the truth, or just because I've been despised by my family, that that doesn't mean that I'm always a failure. It's not intended to be mental. It's not intended to just be another bar to try to jump over. Listen to this, please. The one who created the sun in a word. The one who said, let there be. And the darkness of the universe lit up in an instant. Let there be. And the functions of life and the sustaining of life on this planet just happened. If that one, with that kind of power, with that kind of authority, with that kind of particular strength, if he moves into a heart, if he moves into a heart, it is impossible to imagine that there would not be a change in that heart. There would not be the sense of feeling, of knowing that someone, something far greater than normal has moved into my chest. Brothers and sisters, this isn't about trying harder. This isn't about copying somebody. It is about allowing the power the mercy, the love of the living Jesus Christ, who if you've opened your heart up to him and you've received him into your heart, allowing him to do what only he can do inside you. He is the God of hope, able to cause hope to explode through our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to, it starts at this place. Do I just know about Jesus or do I have Jesus Christ living in my chest, living inside of me? Do I know songs about him? Do I know people who know him? All of those things are, or is he alive in me? It starts there. Everything else is just a frustrating chase of a standard of living that cannot be maintained, obtained or maintained apart from Jesus Christ coming into your heart 
and beginning to flex his muscles and beginning to allow his personality full of hope, full of life, to begin to radiate from the inside out. It is not about copying him. It is about allowing him to transform us from the inside out. Jesus will say, behold, I stand at the door and knock, the door of a heart. If any man or woman will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Have you done that? I did not say, were you baptized? I did not say, did you join a church? I did not say, have you read the Bible through? I did not say, have you given money to the church? Have you opened the door of your heart? Your mother can't do it for you. A preacher can't do it for you. Have you opened the door of your heart to the person of Jesus Christ and said, Lord, the best I can, I open my heart to you and I invite you to come into my life. I invite you, Jesus, to come into my life, to come in and take over, to come in and live your life inside of me. Folks, it just all changes right there. Then it's the muscles of Jesus, instead of the frustrating lack of strength on my own, he begins to change. He begins to do the work. So if that's where you are this morning, you want to get that settled. You, 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 just, you, want to, you want to be starting right. You need the hope of the Lord to work within your spirit. I want to invite you to get up from where you're seated and make your way down this way. Uh, our prayer partners will be waiting for you, and we we'll want to pray with you and just try to answer any questions you may have, but just pray through with you. Pray through with you. And he will make the change. You'll make the difference. When you begin to hear your real father's voice, making his influence known in your heart, there's a settledness, there's a peace, there's a quietness, there's a joy that your life takes on that you never knew before. Because he speak, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 